Hello and welcome back to another installment of Grasping Scripture. As we delve into the text today, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. This is the second letter of Corinthians or to the Corinthians uh, as we have it in the New Testament. And we've already worked our way to the third chapter, laying the groundwork for why Paul was writing this letter and, and some of the events that may have transpired between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians as we have the text. So I encourage you, if you haven't joined us previously, back up at least to chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians to get that uh, background to help understand where the discussion is headed and what Paul is addressing in this text. But whatever the case may be, if you're joining us for the first time or you're returning, we are grateful to have you as part of the podcast and welcome you on this journey through God's Word together as we seek to grasp hold of the Word of God and apply it to our lives. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you've blessed us with, for the opportunity to study your Word, not just in an academic sense, Father, but to study your Word, to to meditate upon it, to, to chew on it, and derive all we can from it. Father, it is your word to us. Your spirit speaks through it to our hearts. You call us to obedience to Christ. And as, as Paul describes it, you work on, on conforming us to the image of Christ through the transformation of our minds. So, Father, we thank you for this awesome gift you have given us, and we ask that you would help us to to understand, to truly hear your voice. We thank you for Jesus the Christ, the Word made flesh, our Savior and our Redeemer. And Father, it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, as we look at chapter three, we're just going to continue on with the discussion that we were having in chapter two. Uh, Paul in chapter two is talking about the, he finishes out the chapter, talking about the role of the apostles, how they as as apostles and him in particular in his apostolic ministry, what it's looked like, what he's been doing, his motivations uh, with that. And in fact, he finishes out chapter two by saying, you see, we are not like the many hucksters who preach for personal profit. We preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. So he's speaking of accountability. He's speaking of legitimacy. He's speaking of integrity there in proclaiming the word of God. If he points to his history and you know, let's face it, it, it hasn't been a real pleasant journey for Paul. Uh, he has faced many a hardship and will have more ahead of him um, for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the gospel, and making it known to the Gentiles. That lays the framework as we move into chapter 3. Chapter 3 starts this way. He says, are we beginning to praise ourselves again? You know, is, are we bragging? Are we praising ourselves here? Is it, are we like others who uh, need to bring you letters of recommendation or, or who ask you to write such letters on their behalf? Surely not. The only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves. 
Your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the results of our ministry among you. This, quote, letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. So he's saying, look, you know, these other guys that come in, they they come in uh, wanting to bring you letters of recommendation to declare how how effective they are, how great they are, what their accomplishments are. And he said, we don't need that because we have you, your lives, Christ at work in you through our ministry of proclaiming the gospel to you and helping you grow in that faith. That is all the recommendation we need. So Paul says, you know, he's saying, look at the evidence not some recommendation. Look at the evidence. That's that's our recommendation right there. And it is a letter from Christ showing the results of our ministry among you. Well, he goes on in verse 4 and he says, We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualifications come from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not written or not of written laws, but of the spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the spirit gives life. So there's the contrast. And he's still playing. He's building this argument, if you will, because he starts out the chapter talking about written letters of recommendation versus the evidence of the Spirit in the lives of the believers being the recommendation. And then he moves to discussing the covenant, and he's talking about the written covenant versus that spiritual covenant of new life in Christ. The new covenant, as he ends that last verse, but under the new covenant, the spirit gives life. So he's beginning to lay this groundwork for an understanding of the the physical, the written, the, the law versus the spirit and one bringing death and one bringing life, one being um, something that inflates, but there's no substance versus one that truly marks change. And so he's, he's, you can see in the way he's discussing this, he's building the argument there. And by argument, I mean, he's building the rationale behind what he is saying. Okay. Um, but there he is, he has kind of framed it that way. And the next, well, the rest of this chapter is all about the, the new covenant and the glory of the new covenant surpassing the glory of the old covenant. And he's going to draw from some Old Testament imagery. He's going to draw from, from some accounts in the Old Testament of Moses having, having met with God and then coming among the, the Israelite people and, and literally his face still glowing, having been in the presence of the glory of God. And that that glow would fade, but he would have to, have to wear a veil, cover his face, because it was, it was freaking out the people of Israel. 
I mean, Moses was glowing. And I don't mean he just had such a joyous expression on his face. The dude was glowing. Um, and it was just too weird for him. So he'd cover his face. Paul takes those accounts and he draws a comparison to Christ in the lives of a believer or in the life of a believer. Um, so let's take a look at the rest of the chapter, shall we? Picking up in verse seven, he says the old way with laws etched in stone led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face, for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect a far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? In the old way, which brings condemnation, or excuse me, if the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever. Now, what he's doing there is drawing that comparison. He's saying, look, we look back on this account of Moses, and we look at the response of the, of the children of Israel and how they responded to Moses coming down from meeting with God and, and literally glowing, having been in the presence of the glory of God, and that that glow over time would fade. And that was representative of the, the glory of that covenant with God, of, of that first covenant etched in stone. Um, it was a great revelation. It helped the people understand so much more about the nature and character of God, whom they worshiped and what he desired from their lives and what he intended for them to be and to do. So it was a huge step forward. And yet the old covenant brought death. The old covenant made known what righteousness was and also made it plain that we fall short of the righteousness of God. That now it also brought life. It had glory because it pointed towards something else. It pointed towards a promise of God of a sacrifice that would be adequate to atone for all the sins of all the people that God would provide that perfect lamb, that sacrifice. But it just pointed that direction. It didn't give that. It pointed towards what would give that. And so it had a glory, but it was a glory that faded. It was a covenant that revealed God, but it also brought death. It led to death. As he says, though it began with such glory, But see, it doesn't stop there. We have the new covenant. Whereas in verse 10, it says, in fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. 
So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new, which remains forever? If the old way that pointed out our sin and left us under the conviction of our sin, if that way was glorious, even though it was a fading glory, how much more so the new covenant the way of salvation found in Christ, which does not fade, which does not lead to death, but leads to life and life eternal. If the old one was glorious, how much better is the new one? Now, as Paul starts in 12, he says, since this new way gives us such confidence we can be very bold. So now he's back talking somewhat about his apostolic ministry, but also about believers and the boldness that they should have. And he's saying, look, since this new way gives such confidence, if the glory of the new way is unfading and it leads to life, I mean, what more do we need? He says, we can be very bold. Verse 13, we are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade. Like I said, the people were freaked out, and Moses, instead of being bold and going, hey, it's the glory of God shining through me, live with it, he covered it. Paul is saying, look, we have the glory that doesn't fade. We have Christ in us, and we don't need to cover it. We can be bold because we have Christ in us. But the people, verse 14, but the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. If you want to understand the old covenant and what it was really about, you do it through Christ. Otherwise, there's a veil. Otherwise, it's obscured. You don't understand it because its context is lost. This veil can only be removed by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. Who's he talking about? Well, he's talking about any who are mired in the system of law, but he's speaking specifically of the Jewish people, um, that they're they're blind to the, the fulfillment of what that old covenant pointed towards. Again, a fading glory because it pointed towards something, but it wasn't the thing. The thing is the new covenant in Christ. The thing is the Messiah who came, lived among us, showed us God, was God in the flesh, God with us, Emmanuel, who is sinless, who died on the cross for our sin, an atoning sacrifice sufficient to cover all sin throughout all time. ransoming us from sin and death and rising again on the third day, showing victory over death and the promise of eternal life being real. 
Paul goes on in verse 16 and he says, you know, first off, let's go back to 15 because it sets the stage. Yes, even today when they read Moses's writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, that veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Mm. So that contrast between the Old Covenant and the New, and the glory of the New Covenant, whenever someone turns to the Lord, that veil is taken away. They can see clearly. They can understand. Why? Because, or for, the Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. As believers in Christ, we have the indwelling presence of Christ, the Spirit of Christ in our lives, the Spirit of the Lord. We have God in us. And when that happens, there is freedom. Freedom from sin and death. Freedom from condemnation. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we have been set free. Again in 18, so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Again, that boldness. We don't have to hide the Lord's glory like Moses did behind a veil. We let it show because the veil's been removed. We can now see clearly, we understand, and we reflect God's glory. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him. Notice, whose work is it that makes us more and more like Christ? It says it right there in the second half of verse 18. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into his glorious image. We have been justified through Christ and his death on the cross, his atonement for our sin, and his resurrection. So we've been justified. We are being sanctified. We are being conformed more and more to his image. Or as this one phrases it, He makes us more and more like him. And where are we going? We're moving towards being glorified. We want to be his glorious image. And we won't finish that journey until we stand in his presence in eternity. But if you know Christ as your savior and Lord, his spirit is at work in your life. And part of that work is making us more and more like him as we are changed 
into his glorious image. And it involves change. And it involves boldness. And it involves so much more than a list of rules and laws. It involves the Spirit of God at work in our lives, convicting us of sin, calling us to conform to His image, glorifying Him and not ourselves or not anything else. Christ is at work in our lives as believers. Paul had to remind the church at Corinth about why he was an apostle and why he had the boldness he did. But he also wanted to remind them it's not just about teaching. It's about transformation through the Spirit of Christ. And that that Spirit is at work in the life of every one of them that believes in Christ and has trusted in Him. And that's true for us today. The Spirit of Christ is at work in our lives. If you know Christ as Savior and Lord, He is at work in your life. And what He is doing is making you more and more like Him. So follow Him. Be conformed to the image of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we do thank you. We thank you that you value us, that you love us that you give us the promise of your spirit living in us and that you shape us, that you are making us more and more like you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.